I'm going to read out of Luke chapter 8, starting with verse uh, 34. I'm going to come back to this story actually later in my prepared message. But, uh, but let's start off with hearing this story out of Luke chapter 8, starting with verse 34. And when those who tended the pigs saw what happened, and they ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. And people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. And he was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully dressed and completely sane. And they were filled with awe. And those people who had actually seen what had happened told them how the demon-possessed man had been delivered. And then everyone gathered from the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave their area because they were overcome with fear. And so he got into the boat and returned across the lake. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged to come along with Jesus as one of his disciples. Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell the story of what God has done for you. And so he went throughout the city proclaiming what Jesus had done for him. So last week, um, I shared in my prepared message this quote or thought by author Sean Post from his book entitled The Stories We Live. And here's the quote that I offered. Everyone's life is shaped by an overarching story that we place our trust in. This is our personal good news. Our identity is actually wrapped up in this narrative because the narrative teaches us what to desire and then leads us deeper into that desire. Now what this invites us to consider, and this is a little bit of what I shared last week. In fact, I'm going to recap just a little bit and then take it kind of a little bit farther. But what this invites us to consider is this, that the narratives that we choose to trust in matter. They really do. They matter because they ultimately become our good news, as Sean Post writes. Our identity is shaped, it's formed, it's wrapped up in this narrative. And our narrative is our way of explanation. It's our explaining who we are and why we do what we do and why we pursue what we pursue. The narrative that we choose or that we allow to choose us becomes our big why in life, W-H-I. Why do I do this? Why do I do what I do? Why am I, why am I the way I am? And why do I choose these goals, for example? And choosing is a fairly significant movement in the scripture and in our spiritual journey. Um, in the Old Testament, God invites the Israelites to choose life by living in the way he offers them. In other words, he says there's really two choices you can make. There's death and there's life. Choose to follow me is the way to life. Joshua told the Israelites, um, as they entered the promised land, he says, Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, Joshua told them, I will serve the Lord. So choice is always important. Choosing the right narrative or choosing the life-giving narrative or story becomes even more important. Now, there are different narratives that we can place our trust in. Narratives that we end up identifying with and sometimes over-identifying with. Narratives that become our good news, if you will, our own personal good news. Because we are in fact searching for good news. We've always searched for good news. But I think now, today, we're searching for good news or better news or some hopeful news. 
So for example, some of these different narratives, again, can be our own political narratives, our own ideologies, how we understand politics, uh, what we tend to support, uh, what our politics are, that's kind of our narrative. Uh, there are cultural narratives around how to get ahead or how to find happiness, or sometimes, as we often say the phrase, live in the dream. Uh, we have a lot of cultural narratives that we buy into, and I mean that um, actually, literally, uh, if it tends to be around a consumer narrative. We have cultural narratives that we attach to. We have cultural narratives uh, that sometimes we identify with or over-identify with. So we have these political narratives. We have these cultural narratives. And then sometimes we have what I call cause narratives, narratives around a particular cause that we align with, or it's important to our sense of self, or we identify with it. Now there's all sorts of good causes, and there may be all sorts of causes that are not so good, but still, we can identify with a certain cause. Now those are just three big general areas that I'm identifying, and I'm sure there are many more narratives. And then there's our personal narrative, and these are the narratives that we've assigned to ourselves based much in part on what's happened to us and what we have experienced in life, both good and both not so good. The painful and the joyful, the, the moments of celebration, and the moments of hardship, and much of this personal narrative is based on life experiences. Sometimes it's based on family of origin. Sometimes it's messages from significant people that we have allowed to define us. And Sometimes it's from very traumatic experiences in our life, those, even those experiences that it's hard to share with people that maybe we know and sometimes are very secret to us. But whatever those, those moments are, we have these personal narratives that have shaped us and defined us um, over our life. And all of these are our way, if you will, to try to give our lives a sense of structure, to try to give our lives a sense of coherence, and to try to give our lives a sense of meaning. Even if we're living a narrative that is not good for us, even if we have identified with a narrative that is from a place of pain and trauma, even as we become healed, even as we begin to move out of that, what we often find is that we need something to redefine us because sometimes we've even been redefined by our own pain. We have been defined by our own brokenness. We've been defined by our own hurt. And even as we seek to get well and get whole, um, we need to find ways to explain who we are. We need to find ways to give our life coherence and meaning. And that's what it means to have a narrative. It's our way of explaining both to ourselves and to those around us what's important to us, what defines us, how we find meaning in life, and essentially who we are. In his book, Life um, is in the Transitions, uh, author uh, Bruce Feiler describes our search for a narrative this way. Quote, stop for a second and listen to the story going on in your head. It's there somewhere in the background. It's the story you tell others when you first meet them. It's the story you tell yourself when you visit a meaningful place, when you flip through the old photographs, when you celebrate an achievement, when you rush to the hospital. It's the story of who you are. It's the story of where you came from, where you dream of going in the future. It's the high point of your life, the turning point. It's what you believe in, what you fight for, what matters most to you. It's the story of your life. And that story isn't just part of you. It is you in a fundamental way. Life is the story you tell yourself. 
but how you tell that story. Are you a hero? Are you a victim? Are you a lover? Are you a warrior? Are you a caretaker? Are you a believer? How you tell that story matters a great deal. And how you adapt that story, he writes, how you revise, rethink, and rewrite your personal narrative as things change, as things lurch or go wrong, li wrong in life, matters even more. I'm going to read that last sentence one more time because it's important. How you revise, rethink, and rewrite your personal narrative as things change, lurch, or go wrong in life matters even more. So here's the big question. Is there a big overarching story or narrative to life? Is there a big story? Is there a big narrative that frames everything, that offers an explanation for everything, that gives everything meaning and coherence? And I guess really this is the ultimate question of life. And maybe it's not one that you ask all the time, or maybe you're not asking now, and maybe you don't. It's probably not one you're asking when you're trying to figure out uh, grocery lists or you're trying to pay the bills or you're trying to figure out how to do remote school or you're polishing up the resume or you're going through the want ads or whatever is most pressing for you right now. But you know it's a question I think that bubbles up from the depths of our soul when we have those moments of pause or we're lying awake at two o'clock in the morning staring at the ceiling or we're trying to figure out how to make sense of the pain and loss and chaos in life or we're feeling the weight and the heaviness of life and feeling isolated. As a person of faith, as people of faith, we're told that the big overarching story, the big narrative, is the kingdom of God. Or that's a, an option, if you will, or a choice given to us. In fact, it's also the good news. Remember how our overarching story is our personal good news? Well, listen to these words from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news, saying, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. There's all the language in that statement by Jesus, the same language that I read in the quote from the author Sean Post when I began the message. Good news. Trust this good news. So we are given this overarching story and narrative called the kingdom of God, or sometimes, as I've often said, the dream of God. In other words, this is the way God intends the world to be. This is the way how God intends the world to be. And we are invited to repent or change our hearts or better yet, rethink our lives based on this overarching narrative called the kingdom of God or the gracious reign of God or the dream of God, to rethink all of our other narratives in light of this one narrative called the kingdom of God and this narrative of the way God intends the world to be and how God intends the world to be. And it can become, and this is what Jesus says, it can become a personal good news in which we place our trust Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. At hand meaning it's right here. To have something at hand means it's close by. It's where I can reach it. And Jesus is saying this overarching story, this narrative of life is within reach. It's right here. It's right now. That's the invitation. Now the choice is really up to you and I. Even in his letter to the believers in Rome, Paul writes that the kingdom of God is about righteousness. It's about peace. It's about joy in the Holy Spirit. 
or as Eugene Peterson translates it in his uh, Bible called The Message, quote, it's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and then completes it with joy. I'm going to read that again. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. I would even go a step farther and say that this is a pretty good description of God's intention or dream for the world as understood as the kingdom of God. Quote, it's what God does with the world as God sets it right, as God puts it together, as God completes it with joy. This is an overarching story, an overarching narrative I can live with. It's one I can get behind it. I'm speaking very personally. It's one I can live with. It's one I can get behind. It's one I can put my trust in and allow it to shape and become my good news. The good news that God is setting all of creation and our lives right. God is putting everything back together again. God is putting all the brokenness in creation and all the brokenness in our life back together and completing it with joy. In other words, it's not something that God is put out to do. It's not something that is a hassle for God. It is God's great and good joy to bring wholeness into our lives, to bring wholeness to creation by setting things right and putting everything back together. And this is where the trust comes. In a world of injustice, in a world of tragedy, in a world of hurt, we trust that God is setting things right through people, through movements, through you and I, through our efforts, through our letters, through our phone calls, through whatever we choose to do, that in a world of injustice, tragedy, and hurt, God is setting things right. In a world of brokenness and pain, we trust that God is putting things back together again, mending creation, mending lives, mending people's hopes, mending people's souls ripped apart through trauma, mending relationships. So in this world of brokenness, we trust that God is at work mending everything and healing everything. And in a world that feels gloomy and hopeless at times, we trust that the reality of God's joy truly does become our strength that the reality of God's joy is our strength, is our hope, and that the joy that God brings to our life, the joy that God brings to our world to make things right, is the joy that fills us, is the joy that strengthens us, is the joy that helps us see this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now there is a story in Luke chapter 8 that I read earlier about a man who Luke describes as demon-possessed. And this was a homeless man who lived a naked life among all the tombs and the crypts. And death, and dad, death, uh, death and deadness is sort of the story of this man's life. He was out of control that often he would break the chains and restraints that kept him shackled. He would run off into the wilderness. So one day Jesus approaches this man and through this man the unclean spirits begin to beg and ask Jesus for mercy. Because these unclean spirits, they know the power of God and the power of the kingdom of God. And this confrontation had occurred before because numerous times Jesus had commanded these unclean spirits to come out and they would just go right back into this man. And the man asks for the unclean spirit's name or Jesus asks for the unclean spirit's name. And the unclean spirit says legion. Now, it's an interesting name because in that day, legion was really the name of uh, uh, 
a Roman, Roman soldier brigade, which meant about 4,500 soldiers. Now, I don't know if there were 4,500 unclean spirits in this man. What it does tell us, though, is this man was being brutally oppressed and brutally dominated by this condition that he was in. So Jesus asks for the unclean spirit's name, and the unclean spirit says legion, since many demons had entered the man, as Luke writes. And kind of in an almost a comical twist, the demon asks Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and Jesus gives him permission. So these demons, they go into the pigs, they enter into the pigs, and the whole herd rushes down into the cliff, into the lake, and they're drowned. And we pick up the story in verse 34 of Luke 8 that I read earlier. So let's hear it again. When those who tended the pigs saw what happened, they ran away and told the story. See, there's always a story to tell around the kingdom of God. They ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. And people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. And he was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully dressed and completely sane. And they were filled with awe. And those people who had actually seen what had happened told them how the demon-possessed man had been delivered. And then everyone gathered from the region of the Gerasenes, asked Jesus to leave their area because they were overcome with fear. And so Jesus got into the boat and returned across the lake. Now the man from whom the demons had gone begged to come along with Jesus as one of his disciples. Jesus sent him away and said, Return home and tell the story of what God has done for you. Now these healing stories in the Gospels are always very dramatic. But you know, maybe they are a dramatic way of showing us this trajectory of God's kingdom and God's intentions, and that is to bring wholeness and healing to our world. That's the big overarching story. That's the big narrative. That's the gospel. That's the good news. To bring harmony, to bring shalom, to bring healing, to bring wholeness to our world, to everything in our world that feels ripped apart, that feels fragmented, that feels broken, that feels torn. Everything in our world that, that feels pain, that feels hurt. So these healing stories are a dramatic way of showing us what God's intentions are. And maybe the story is this. In the battle between goodness and evil and oppression, goodness will ultimately win. In the struggle between pain and wholeness, wholeness will ultimately prevail. And in the standoff between the darkness that brings pain and the confusion and the light that brings healing and wholeness, the darkness always recognizes that the light has much more power and the light will prevail. And ultimately, maybe discipleship, maybe following Jesus is not as complicated as we've made it out to be. This man wanted to go with Jesus and, have, and, and, and be one of his disciples and follow Jesus. And Jesus simply says this, return home. Tell the story of what God has done for you. Maybe discipleship, maybe following Jesus is really simply being around those that we know, those that we love, those places that we call home, those that we have our daily interactions with, those that we see on a regular basis. Maybe that's what discipleship is, and it really is simply telling the story of what God has done for you. I think in open worship, we're simply telling the story of what God has done for us through this past week. 
I think sometimes when we share uh, conversations that are life-giving, we're just telling the story of what God has done for us. And maybe, maybe what we need to do is to tell more stories of what God has done for each one of us. Not stories in the sense that they're mythical or they didn't happen, but stories in the sense that it's become the narrative of our life. Stories in the sense that it's become sort of what shapes our life. Stories in the sense that it becomes what forms our life and gives our life a sense of coherence and explains our life. And maybe over time what we begin to discover is that the story of our life is that God is doing something in our life. Maybe we don't notice it every day, but it's a constant and it's continual. And we share with one another what God has done for each one of us. And I think that's what community is all about, telling those stories of what God has done for me, telling the story of what God has done for you. And maybe discipleship and following Jesus is simply telling and living the story of what God has done for you and I. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Each story is unique and personal because it's your story, and it's telling what God has done for you. I want to go back as we close to that quote from Sean Post from his book, The Stories We Live. Everyone's life is shaped by an overarching story that we place our trust in. What is the story that you place your trust in? What is the overarching story that's shaping your life? This is our personal good news, he writes. What is my good news? What's your good news? Our identity is actually wrapped up in this narrative because the narrative teaches us what to desire and then leads us deeper into that desire. And maybe that's the final but important question. What is, our, what is our identity actually wrapped up in? What do we identify with? Who do we identify with? And ultimately, does our identity rest in the goodness and the love of God? The God who heals, the God who makes us whole, the God who speaks love and grace into our pain, into our brokenness. The God who finds it with great joy to make us whole again.